Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, we are continuing our Advent series called The Promise. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Advent, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming or arrival. And so as we approach uh, Christmas, uh, we spend uh, the four weeks, the four Sundays in particular, but all the days in between um, up to Christmas, preparing our hearts to celebrate Christ's first coming, even as we look forward to his second coming, which we hope will be sooner rather than later, or at least I do. I, 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 I love life. But living down here on earth is like living in a garbage can compared to what heaven's going to be like. And uh, we need to have that eternal mindset. And so we've been looking at the many promises of God uh, over the last couple of weeks that have been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And in week one, if you remember, we discovered that uh, God's promise of hope was found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that he is our only hope. He is our hope for the present as well as for the future. And uh, last week we talked about peace, God's promise of peace, and particularly uh, as it was given to the shepherds. But this isn't a generic peace, you know, as we have come to sing in the song that, you know, we, we sing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. This peace is only available to those who repent of their sins and who have trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at our third theme or promise, and that is joy. But before we begin, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for this opportunity that we have to look at your word, uh, to celebrate uh, the birth of Christ, that everything that had to transpire, transpire before um, he could be born. And so, Lord, help us not to rush too quickly to Christmas, but to really reflect upon all the things that you have done in preparation uh, for his coming. Lord, prepare our hearts. Use your word this morning to encourage us and to inspire us and to motivate us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Christmas, in my opinion, is truly the most wonderful time of the year. That's not taking anything away from Easter. I just think it affords us some opportunities that we don't have as a church um, during the Christmas season. We can get away with talking about spiritual things in a way, talking about the birth of Christ at Christmas, and we can kind of get away with that with family members and, and friends. And, uh, and I love all the, the trappings that go along with it. I do. I, um, I love everything about it. I love gathering with family and friends. I love making and eating my homemade meatballs, uh, desserts of various kinds, and lots of chocolate. Um, I enjoy, I love um, seeing lights, just driving around the neighborhood and seeing how people have decorated their homes. Uh, I even like buying and giving gifts to people. I do not like wrapping them, but I do like giving them. Uh, and of course, I love receiving them as well. Um, and one of the things that I have found is that when you find a, a special gift that you want to give somebody, sometimes it's hard um, to um, not let the cat out of the bag. 
You know, it's hard to keep it under wraps, pardon the pun. Um, but but it, it is because you're excited. You can't wait to see the look on the face of the person that you give the gift to for them to be so wowed as you are wowed, thinking that they will be wowed, right? Um, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but but I do enjoy that. I think that was one of the, the things that I love most about um, our Christmases at home when our kids were growing up. You know, seeing them come down, you know, the stairs and head to the tree and start, you know, opening presents. Um, it was always a joy uh, to see their faces as they unwrapped the paper. So when I think about, you know, Christmas, you can't think about Christmas without talking about joy. Um, you can't. And I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but I, I think you can't read the Christmas story without wondering how God must have felt as the world was about to unwrap his special gift. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought of it. If we as, as parents, as, as human beings have joy in giving gifts to others, don't you think God experienced that same joy? I mean, we know the angels did. So here, if the angels did, if the recipients did, certainly God must have as well. And Jesus was God's most precious gift. He was a gift of hope, a gift of peace, a gift of joy, and a gift of love to us. And one of the things that God had to do, however, before that gift was given is uh, the very thing that I wrestle with sometimes, and that is letting the cat out of the bag. I think God did that. I think God actually let the cat out of the bag because the news was too good not to share. And it was actually needed. You might think about it this way, is that throughout the Old Testament, God left us clues. He left us prophecies that spoke about the coming of his son, the coming of the Messiah. And, and again, you just, it's kind of like what's happened to me this particular Christmas, that there have been some clues that have been dropped and things like that. And it just, you know, it just raises your curiosity. And, and then when the big moment comes and you unwrap it, it's like, wow, you know? And I'm thinking, all the while that I'm experiencing this, the person who's giving me the gift is full of joy. Just thinking about and imagining what that day would look like when, when that gift is unwrapped. And I think God, in giving us his word and all of these clues that are strewn throughout the Old Testament, that, that there was joy welling up in him because he knew there would come a day when he would send forth that gift and it would finally be unwrapped. And we would see him as he truly is. And so one of the ways that God uh, did this, besides sending the prophets and angels, um, was through Jesus' cousin, John. Uh, you know the story of John the Baptist. God had promised to send his messenger before the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord. And John's birth was a miraculous birth. And it brought great joy to his parents. But I believe John would experience a greater joy later in life as he helped prepare others to know Jesus. 
that there is great joy in pointing others to Jesus. There's great joy in hearing and believing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, but there is also great joy in proclaiming the gospel to others and helping them come to know Jesus as well. The good news is so good, we can't keep it to ourselves. And Christmas just gives us that opportunity to share the good news with others. Like John, you and I have been given the privilege and the opportunity to share the gospel with people who need to hear. And perhaps now more than ever, people need to know that Jesus um, is, is the true source of joy. That true joy is only found in him. And, it, and it's a joy for those who know him to make him known to others. So this morning, I kind of want to break apart the, this message in two parts. The first is talking about that true joy is only found in Jesus. Um, I, I want to be real clear because as, as much as we talk about joy at Christmas, we need to acknowledge that this is also a time of year where the suicide rate is much higher, where there's a lot of depression. So there's a lot of hopeless people living in our world who need to know that Jesus is the true source of joy. True and lasting joy is not found in the sentimentality of Christmas of the holiday season. It's not found in our accomplishments or our possessions. And as Theodore Gazelle uh, has so rhythmically reminded us, it is not found in the gifts we give or receive at Christmas. Some of you are wondering who is this Theodore? And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and he puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps means a little bit more. It means a lot more. Theodore Gazelle is, of course, Dr. Seuss. Um, I didn't know that that was his name, and I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, he took the name um, Dr. Seuss uh, after uh, going to Dartmouth, and uh, that's how we've all come to, to know him. But true joy is only found in Jesus. It doesn't come from a store. It doesn't come from decorating the tree. It doesn't even come from having family members over. True and lasting joy only comes from Christ. And when you think about it, we saw that last week when we were talking about the shepherds. And the angel of the Lord came to the shepherds back in, in chapter 2. Verse 10 and 11, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. 
So we see clearly that Jesus is the source of joy. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's about God sending his one and only son into the world to take our sin upon himself and to go to the cross 33 years later and to die in our place, paying the debt that we owed for our sin and for our rebellion so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be brought back into his forever family. This is an amazing thought. That's what Christmas is all about. This good and joyous news is for all the people. Now, as soon as I say it, it's for all the people. That doesn't mean that all the people will be saved. It means all the people in that it's all the people of all kinds of people, men and women, boys and girls, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. It's people from all over the world that God will call to himself. It's good news, and it is a gospel of peace for those who believe, for those who have repented of their sins and have trusted in Christ to save them. And the prophet Isaiah foretold of Jesus' birth roughly 700 years before he was born. But God not only prepared his people with those types of prophecies, he also prepared his people with prophecies concerning one who would come before the Lord, one who would come and prepare his way. In Isaiah chapter 40, we read, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The Lord also spoke through the prophet Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And then hundreds of years later, the Levites and the priests ask the full-grown John, who are you? To which he replied, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. See, John was sent ahead of Jesus to the people to prepare them for Jesus. His was a gospel of repentance, telling people to turn from their sins because there was one who was coming whose sandals he was unworthy to untie. And preparation, as you know, is key to any big event, right? I mean, whether it be a bowl game, uh, a wedding, uh, or the birth of a child. And last week, uh, we were blessed um, with the additions of two babies uh, here uh, with the New Life family, Ben and Megan and Caleb and Sarah had their babies. That's a time of rejoicing. Healthy babies coming in to the world. And um, any parent will tell you that there's a great deal of preparation that goes into having a baby. And, you know, I mean, and really from the time you find out you're having a baby, there's a lot of preparation that goes on. My own uh, daughter and son-in-law have been preparing uh, for the arrival of their baby, which is going to come in March. And, you know, my head was just spinning, remembering of all the things that we did in preparation for our kids' arrival. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, 
about all the many doctor visits that you have and the ultrasounds and the diets that you're on and buying maternity clothes. And, um, and, and then one of the things they did, they turned one of the rooms into a nursery. They painted the walls. They bought the crib. They got all these, all these baby stuff. There's this tray there with a bunch of passies put in there. I don't know. I guess it's for decorations or something. But, um, but the, then they spent considerable amount of time um, on baby names. Think about, do you remember what it was like? You know, what are we going to name the baby? And, you know, that, I had books upon books, okay? My wife will tell you, I, I would sit in bed and I'd have a, one book was like this thick and I'm just flipping through it and it took forever to come up with names and um, I could talk more about that, but I won't. Um, last week, we went to South Carolina for my daughter's baby shower only to find out that guys weren't allowed. So... Um, so that was fun. Um, and, and, but, you know, I did get a chance to see the place, and it was all decorated and, you know, beautiful cake and food, and they had all these gifts were there. And, um, it, you know, it was a lot of preparation just going into the baby shower. So I think we can all understand that when there's a big event like that, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. How much more so for the birth of the Savior of the world? I mean, there's a lot of preparation. God took great pains to prepare the world for the coming of his son. In Luke chapter 1, we read the story of John. We read the story. It's really the backstory story of John. And he would prepare the world for Jesus coming and taking center stage. At one point, he says, I, I must decrease and he must increase. But for a time, he was there and he was the forerunner of the Lord and he was leveling the playing field, so to speak. He was preparing people's hearts to receive him. So let's take a look at Luke chapter one. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. I'll be reading from verse 11 through verse 17. Oh, and, and by the way, just give you a little bit more background here. Um, we're, we're talking about Zechariah, who was John's father, who was a priest, and he was serving in the temple when an angel of the Lord appears to him. He's burning incense before the Lord while the people are praying outside. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared.
While Zechariah was serving in the temple, he was startled when an angel of the Lord appeared to him and began speaking to him. Actually, when you, when you look at the language, what you find here is, is that he was gripped with fear. Panic set in. And you can kind of understand that. Because when you read the Old Testament, every time an angel showed up, it wasn't always good news. I mean, it was, it was like, uh-oh, something went wrong. Something, and I can't help but wonder if Zechariah was, was thinking, okay, did, did I light the wrong candle? You know, did I use the wrong incense? Did I do some? Am I going to be struck dead because I touched something I shouldn't be touching? Because that happened in the Old Testament. And he was overcome with fear. And I, I, the angel said what seems to be a common saying surrounding the birth of Jesus because what he says to Zechariah is what he told Mary, is what he told the shepherds, and that is, do not be afraid. Boy, those are good, comforting words, aren't they? Especially when you are scared to death, you know, that you might be smitten by this angel, and the angel then says, do not be afraid. The angel said this to Joseph, said this to the shepherds, and now says it to Zechariah. And we're not told explicitly, um, but it appears that Zechariah and perhaps his wife, not sure if the wife would be on the same page with Zechariah, but that they, they had been praying for a baby. He was old. And scripture says she was advanced in years. That was a nice PC way of saying she was old too. So that's why I'm not sure she was praying for a baby. <laughs> But he was, I think. He says, your prayers have been answered. Elizabeth will give birth to his son, and they are to call him John. And the angel says this to him, that Zechariah will have joy and gladness. And many others will rejoice at his birth. God will use this baby not only to bring joy to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, but to the entire world. For he will prepare the people for the arrival of Jesus. And that's why he was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. This was no ordinary child. This was no ordinary mission. It was so important that John needed to be prepared for the task at hand. And later, John would clearly come to understand that Jesus is the true source of joy. That true joy only comes from Jesus. And that there, that there is great joy in hearing and believing the gospel. I mean, that's what he spent his life doing. Pointing people to Jesus. But I think in so doing, he, he would also come to understand that there is great joy in, in doing that. It's not just in the hearing of the gospel and responding to the gospel. It's having the privilege and the opportunity to share the gospel, to point people to Jesus. So there's great joy in all of that. And that's kind of where I want to spend the remainder of the morning talking about is that it is a joy for those who know him, to help others know him too. And like I mentioned last week, we, we saw that with the shepherds. The angel came to the shepherds with good news of a great joy. And what did they do with it? Let us go down and see this thing that has been told to us. And what did they do? They went down. 
And they saw this thing exactly as it had been told to them. And then they shared what the angels told them with Mary and with Joseph. And then they went back home. I mean, think about that for a moment. You know, you've just been visited by an angel. You're, you're told that the savior of the world has been born. You travel down and you see the baby and you realize it's all true. It's all true. Everything we've been told, it's true. Here he is. Wow. How in the world do you go back to shepherding sheep? But they went home. But they didn't go home the same. They went home, the Bible says, praising God and rejoicing. And you have to believe. Well, I mean, we know all the shepherds in Israel were not at Jesus' birth. But the shepherds to whom the angels spoke were there. So when they went back home and when they went back to their jobs, I have no doubt that when they rubbed shoulders with their buddies, their fellow shepherds, that they told them all about it. How can you not? When you have received the greatest news in the world, how can you not share it with those around you? I like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. He says this, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. For you are our glory and our joy. Now Paul was writing to the church. And what he was saying is, is guys, we have been proclaiming the gospel to you. And you have received it. And you have responded in, in humble repentance and in faith and have believed the gospel. And you have become born again. You are a part of God's forever family. And Paul says, I want you to know that when the Lord Jesus comes back and we're standing before him, you're going to be the bright spot in my life. You are my joy, our crown of exaltation in the presence of the coming. Because I will have been found faithful in the proclamation of the gospel, doing what God has called me to do. And God has so worked in your life to draw you to himself that we will together forever enjoy him. See, there is great joy in sharing the gospel with others and seeing them come to faith in Christ. And one of the, the greatest joys of the Christian life is simply to help others come to know Jesus, whether it be our children, our parents, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. It's one of the greatest joys you will ever experience is sharing Jesus with somebody. And we do... We do that in a lot of different ways. We, we certainly do that by sharing what God has done in our lives, our personal testimonies and stories. We do it by proclaiming the gospel, but we also do it by serving others. And last week, um, you know, I, I'm glad I had a chance to go to my daughter's, um, you know, baby shower, but I was sad that I missed um, Christmas in the village. We had 30 plus new lifers manning the skating rink for two days. 
during Christmas in the village. You know, we partnered with the city of Canal Winchester and we served our community because they had a need. And from what I have heard, it made a tremendous impact on people. People took notice of, of new life. Some people, um, I was told, were um, just about in tears because it was a major undertaking and it took a lot of people to pull it off. And I hear Saturday night wasn't as nice as uh, Friday night, temperature-wise, but yet our folks were out there braving the elements, rubbing shoulders with people. And, um, and we prayed, you know, for opportunities for spiritual conversations. We also help other people know Jesus by being joyful in him. I'm going to go on record by saying, I think one of the worst things, that, that there maybe is nothing worse than a joyless Christian. I think of all the people in the world, the people who ought to be the happiest, the most joyful are followers of Christ. People who have experienced the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, who understand that as great as their sins are, his grace is greater still. And that God gives us Another chance, a second chance, a third chance, a, a fourth chance. He, he is at, at work recreating us into his image. And I think, I think, I think a joyless Christian is probably an oxymoron. I, I, don't, I don't think there really is such a thing. Those who have received God's greatest gift in Jesus ought to be the happiest people in the world. It ought to show on our faces. It ought to be reflected in the way we talk. And it ought to be seen in what we do. And joy, unfortunately, as I said at the start of this message, is a commodity that's hard to come by today. Most people do not understand that true joy is only found in Jesus. They look for it everywhere else and anywhere else. In relationships and drugs, and alcohol, and climbing the, the, the corporate ladder, or having more friends on social media than anybody else. People all around us are lost and lonely. Many are hurting, heartbroken, and hopeless. Some are even despairing of life. And we have the opportunity, especially here at Christmas, to share joyfully the good news of Jesus with those who need to hear. And I pray that we make the most of the opportunity in the time that we have left between now and Christmas. Share your story in the gospel with someone who needs to hear. Invite them to one of the, the remaining services that we have this year and trust the Lord to work in their lives. So let's continue our story. Let's look at verse 18. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, there we go, said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, 
you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah is skeptical of the good news that he has been given. And he and his wife are old. You can understand this. The prospect of having a child um, was, was probably all but gone as far as they were concerned. And because of his unbelief, he's told he is going to be silent, speechless. He will not be able to talk. Some people believe from the text he also could not hear. I'll let you do the investigation on that. But that he would not speak until the baby was born. And I don't know about you, but I have felt like Zechariah a, a lot. There have been many times where I have received good news that I thought was too good to be true. Sometimes, I, you know, I, I struggle with, uh, I don't know if I would say pessimism, but I've, I've had some experiences in my life where I, where I feel like um, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You've heard that saying before. And, and you may not articulate it verbally, but you can feel it on the inside. It's like, I can't really get too excited about this, you know? I mean, actually, it kind of reminds me of um, when, when I was candidating um, to be the teaching pastor here. Because <laughs> when I think about it, my wife and I, when we came and we visited, we so loved it. So, I just, we were so excited and it felt so right and so good. And it was like, yeah, I think this is it. But it's like we went, we drove eight and a half hours home for the first five hours. We didn't say a word to each other about it. We were too scared. I mean, there was, it's like hope against, it's like, yeah, yeah, but they got another candidate coming up and, you know, you know, he's going to be really good and stuff. And, you know, so it was like, yeah, I want to rejoice, but something was kind of holding me back. And, and, and I think, I think sometimes, um, you know, I wrestle with that. I, I struggle with that. I, I, I can be skeptical of good news. And how much more so the good news that salvation is a free gift. I don't know about you again. I grew up and I was taught that salvation was dependent upon me. That I had to be good enough. That, that I had to go to church every week, that I, I had to do good works, that I had to go to confession, and I had to do penance, and I had to do, do, do in order for God to accept me and to love me. So when I heard that, that salvation is a free gift of God, I go, nah, no way, can't be. And I think a lot of people are like that. That's, where, that's why we come up with these sayings like, come on, there are no free lunches. All right, what's the catch? All right, there's always strings attached, right? I mean, you, you're familiar with those. It's because we disbelieve. We wrestle with that. And, and on top of that, I think the truth is we want to earn our salvation, we want to be able to take credit for it. We want to be able to stand before God and see, see God, I did it. I'm, I'm here because I was able to meet the requirements. You know, whether it be my good works outweighing my bad works or, you know, or we, uh, we 
come out and say, well, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Well, you know what? God is not going to allow people into heaven on the basis of what you didn't do. But neither is he going to allow you into heaven on the basis of what you do do, Ella. And so it's all about grace. It's all about God's unmerited favor that he has so richly lavished upon us. The Apostle Paul tells us as much in the book of Romans where he says, and I quote, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and, and I almost wonder, it's just like, why does it even have to have the word free in there? I mean, a gift is free, isn't it? It's almost as if he, he wants to emphasize, do you, you guys understand, you're not paying for this. <laughs> it's free. It's a gift. What you have to do is receive it. Right? And that's where John tells us, in as much as, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. No amount of self effort, no amount of good deeds will ever get us into heaven. We could never be good enough. So the gospel may seem like it's news that's too good to be true but the reality is is that the gospel is too good not to be true I don't know if you ever thought about that it's too good not to be true why because you know what no man or woman would ever have come up with this plan of redemption we wouldn't our pride would keep us from doing that because we want to earn our keep we, we, we want to take the credit for our salvation. We would never in a million years come up with a plan of redemption that we require that we can't do something, right? No man would ever have devised this plan. Only a all-loving, all-merciful, all-gracious God would ever choose to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him. When we respond to the gospel in humble repentance and faith, we not only discover that Jesus is the true source of joy, but that there is great joy in helping others know him too. So let's fast forward now to the birth of John as I wind this message down. If you move over to verse 57 in chapter 1, it says that now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Imagine this scene. After the baby's born, all the relatives, friends, they've all gathered together, and they're kind of partying together. They're rejoicing over the birth of the child. And a discussion arose over what to name the child. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced some of this, but sometimes family members can stick their noses in places they ought not do. And I think that's what's happening here because they all expected that the baby was going to be named after the father, Zechariah. And they didn't like the fact that the baby was going to be named John. And I love Elizabeth's response because she, she just simply says, no, his name will be John. 
No, we're, 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 who's having the baby here? Me. We will name the baby. His name's going to be John. Well, they weren't satisfied with that. So, they, well, okay, so we're going to just ask Zachariah. And that's what they do. They turn to Zechariah. What do you, you want to name the baby? Now, of course, Zechariah couldn't speak, so he wrote down, scribbled, John, in agreement with his wife. And immediately, he was able to speak again. And what does he do with his voice? Bible makes it real clear. He praises God. He blesses God. He uses his voice to praise God and everybody is in awe. And I, didn't, I don't have this on the screen, but in verse 65 it reads, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. John's name in Greek means Jehovah has been gracious. God was gracious to Elizabeth and to Zechariah in giving them a son. But he's also been gracious to us in the life of John. Because John prepared his people for the coming of the Messiah and prepared us to meet the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the joy and grace that we see here should be reflected in our lives. You know, the grace that, that was um, uh, lavished upon John and, and his family is the same grace that God lavishes upon us. And the joy that characterized John's birth and his life ought to characterize our lives. There's great joy in hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there is also great joy in proclaiming the good news to those who need to hear. And one of the last thing I'll say, joy, joy is attractive if you've been around joyless Christians, you know what a put-off that is. Joy is attractive. When people see Christians who really believe what they say they believe and they see it on their faces, they're drawn to it. Why? Because they live in a joyless world. They realize that you know, there's really no reason in this world to be happy. So why are you different? What is it about you that allows you to have a smile on your face in the midst of great difficulty? It's Jesus. Joy is attractive and it's contagious. When we live joy-filled lives, people become curious. They, they want to know, why are we so joyful? So as I conclude, let me, let me make a confession here, something that I know that you will agree with me is true. True joy is not found in meatballs. It's not found in the giving and the receiving of gifts. True joy is only found in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for your word to us.
and for the message of the cross. Lord, we thank you for your servant, John, and for his willingness um, to fulfill his calling in his life. Lord, I pray that we would be as faithful to fulfill the calling you have placed on our lives, that we might not only know this joy, but Lord, that we would have great joy in sharing the good news with others. And Father, we pray that you would enlarge your kingdom and that this Christmas there would be many more lovers of Jesus in it as a result of our obedience and joy in the Lord. Amen.